you open your Bibles to Proverbs 25, we we'll get there shortly. We've been talking about where our church is headed over the last few weeks, where we're going as a church and directions for the journey and all that kind of stuff. Our first week of this year, we discussed the principles that are unchanging. Uh, obviously, as we've kind of been, I've, anybody that's got any sense at all can figure out Pastor Bob's kind of preparing us for this building project. Uh, it's just kind of, I would rather prepare instead of repair. Amen? Yeah. Um, we got this week and next week left that I'm going to talk about it, and after that, we're just going to go through it together. But um, our first week, we discussed the unchanging principles. You know, when you start changing walls and paint and flooring and you start adding an addition out to the north, then people get uncomfortable saying, what else is changing in my church? And we established those things that were going to be unchanging. And then last week, we discussed uh, where we have come from. The purpose of that was to show you know, God's faithfulness to our church and, and sharing with a new generation who we are. And I had several people come up to me, even though the weather has kind of kept our numbers down the last couple of weeks, um, come up to me and said, Pastor Bob, I was shocked how many people have been new to our church within the last 10 years. And it's really quite a percentage. And uh, it's exciting, you know, at the same time. But we needed to talk about who we were and how God's been faithful to our church. And did you all like the history lesson? It's good. Uh, it is online. And I did put make it as a video so that those slides would come up at the certain points of the message. If you're somebody that wants it for a DVD for your home and want to watch it on your TV or have missed it last week and would like to have it, let me know. We can get those made for you. But um, we had a lot of good response from that. Um, but June, June of uh, 2013, I think it was June 23rd of 2013, our church voted almost unanimously uh, to move forward with the proposed building project. And I know it wasn't an easy decision. I know it was a decision that we talked about for probably two hours in that meeting and discussed the needs and issues and kind of why we had uh, gotten there where we did. It was a three-year, has been about a three-year process at this point for our board and myself. But it was a place of decision, one that wasn't easy, but we still moved through it quickly. And we believed God that God would make provision. We budgeted ourselves based upon where our annual income was at that point, uh, what we had cash flow that we could help ourselves to get through it and take out some debt and obviously pay that debt down as quickly as we could, what was a healthy loan, what we could uh, withstand and still not cripple our ministries, and still believing God for increase. And we did that in this last year, folks, those of you that weren't at the annual business meeting, uh, Thursday, we were excited to share that we had an eighty thousand over an eighty thousand dollar increase in our tithe and offering this year. Now I know what you're saying and say, Pastor, is it all about money? No, but we prayed for God's provision for this process. We said, Lord, if this is Your will, and we know it's not Your will for us to stay in debt forever, but we believe You, God, that if this is Your will, You're going to have to give some provision for this. And lo and behold, an eighty thousand, eighty-three thousand dollar increase in our annual giving, just tithe and offering. And so our little minds were blown a little bit. But the reality of it is that God is providing, God's moving us forward, and, and I feel like our church needs to know and understand that and be excited about the fact that God is moving us forward. But at the same time, we don't walk blindly. We don't let the excitement and the comfort and the joy of the good news cause us to close our eyes and just run forward. Amen? How would you like it if I took you out to the Portland Arch Nature Preserve and blindfold you at the start and say, I'll see you at the end? 
Wouldn't be good, especially when you got to that part where it's really narrow and a drop-off, about a, about a 50-foot drop-off there down to a, a rock bed floor there. That wouldn't be good. In the same way it is for us in our lives and as a church and as individuals, we mustn't run into things with our eyes closed. Again, I know I've used this a few times. You heard it at the annual business meeting. You're going to hear it again today. But, uh, you know, people always say if there's new levels, there's new devils. I know that's one of those things that's not really scripture that everybody talks about. However, there is an ounce of truth to it. When you, when you overcome something and you get to a progressive state in your life, there's going to be another thing that you're going to have to face doesn't matter what it is. You say, Pastor Bob, I'm so excited. I'm so in love. I want to get married. Well, good for you. Get married. And you say, yes, I'm no longer single. I'm married. I have no more problems. <laughs> new level, new devil. Right? You say, I, I'm married. No more problems. Then all of a sudden, you got little kids. New levels, new devils. You know, if it's in the workplace, you say, Pastor, you know, I started in on the production floor of our factory and, and uh, you know, they didn't pay enough and yada, yada. You know how it is. Everybody complains about that. Well, you get a management position. Hey, hey I don't have, now I'm salary and, and I got all this stuff. And hey, new levels, new devils, folks. Anytime there's a progression in our life, it's going to bring new challenges to us. And our church family isn't any different. As we grow and as we move forward, and for our church, you know, we've got a new generation here. We've got people that haven't gone through building programs here with our church in the past. And we need to understand and know that there are times that when you move forward, the enemy attacks. Now, I myself, my wife and I, we've been very transparent with our church over our struggles over the last year. The enemy has attacked us personally. I can speak from my own experience that as you're moving forward in Christ, you Gather the attention of the enemy. When you begin to get on the front line and you begin to move forward in the battle, they don't appreciate it. And so they will do all that they can to cause you to question your call, to get faithless and to lose heart, to become depressed, to quit, to give up and back out and say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, I quit. And I'm going to tell you, there have been times even over the last year where I felt like that. But if you remember, we looked back on our church history and there was an article and, and we read the article where it said that people were in an uproar because they didn't want a church building built right here. And they're doing, there's a lot of things that were done to try to stop it, but it wasn't likely that anything was going to happen. If there is a newspaper in hell today, I'm going to tell you what it is. There's a little article there that says something about your pastor in this church. And it says, we've, we're much wrought up over this little pastor in little Covington, Indiana and his family and what's happening there in that congregation. And there's been a lot of attacks and there's been a lot of oppression and things that have tried to stop it, but it's not likely that anything's going to happen. Why am I saying that? Because anytime there's progress, there's always going to be an attack of the enemy. You forget that you're in a war. We are not at war with flesh and blood. We are not at war with things that are carnal in nature. We are at war with, with, with powers and principalities of this dark world. So the reason we went through our church history last week was so that we could see the faithfulness of God. Our church has steadily been progressing, moving forward, seeing the lost saved, seeing people disciplined, uh, discipled, not disciplined, sorry. I'm not saying there's not some that need it. Most of them left the room just a few minutes ago. 
seeing others release into ministry through all the past building programs, the remodels, the pastoral transitions. The condition of our church has been uh, to remain healthy and effective. My desire as your senior pastor, and I know it's the desire of everybody in this room, that by the time this building program's over, that we're continuing to move forward. Healthy. Secure. So how do we do it? Look at me. Look at Proverbs 25 with me. Verse 28. I love the Proverbs. Anybody ever need wisdom? Has anybody in your life ever thought, you know, I'm just not smart enough? I feel this that way all the time. And so I read Proverbs a lot. And I get a lot of wisdom out of it. I love it because so much is said in one sentence. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. This verse, this proverb, compares a man that doesn't have have self-control to a city that its walls are broken down. Now, if we were to stand here and look at this today, and we would see a city where its walls are broken down, a person could look in with some judgmental attitudes and say, well, why are the walls broken down? Your first assumption is is that there's a city that was once fortified, once had walls, once was protected from outside threats. Amen? We've gathered that because the city has walls, they're just broken down. It was once defended, so one could only in their mindset begin to picture this city where the walls were there and you can just judge and look in and say, you know what, these people didn't take care of business. They didn't keep the main thing the main thing. They looked at it and said, you know what, Uh, these people have been irresponsible and they have been lazy. Why? Because like anything, you build a wall, you build anything out of brick and mortar or stone and mortar or whatever the wall's made out of. Over time, the sun begins to hit it. The rain begins to hit it. We have weather like this that does damage to it. It colds, it it freezes, it colds, whatever it colds is. It freezes, the, the wall sneezes every once in a while. I don't know. It freezes, it falls, and that mortar begins to turn to sand and a little bit at a time begins to work its way out and begins to fall out. And people stood there and looked at it and said, well, the wall doesn't look too bad. You know, we could fix it, but that just takes a lot of time, money, and energy, and I, I would rather do something else. And so over time, the wall begins to break down and tear down. And the fact of the matter is, is that people forget there's an enemy on the outside of the wall. And so since they've forgotten about the enemy being on the outside of the wall, the wall has now become, it's, it's losing its purpose. It's not as important as it once was. And while the wall's there, it's beginning to deteriorate. And, and, and since we have our children, and our children like to climb, and, and there's no enemy on the other side of the wall that we're concerned about, we let the kids climb on the wall. It's not a big deal. So the kids are climbing on the wall, and the more they're playing, you know, king of the hill and climbing the wall, they're digging their hands and climbing up the wall, and the stone falls out here, or a rock falls out there. And over time, because of the laziness and because of the lack of concern, the wall begins to kind of shrink and get smaller and smaller, and it, it gets wider and lower. And so they, they look at it, and again, they say, you know, we really ought to build up the wall, but, you know, what's the point? There's really not an enemy out there. There's no concern for an enemy. You know, there's not been attacks in years. We've lived in comfort and peace for so long. There's really not a threat like there used to be. So then word gets around. Somebody gets to the top of the wall and says, you know, you know what upsets me most about this wall? And they said, what upsets you most about this wall? Uh, things on the outside of the wall are kind of pretty. You know, that wall has sit there for so long, outside my house, I've just looked at a wall. Nobody likes to look at a brick wall outside the window of their house. And on the other side of the wall, you can look, we're kind of on a hilltop, and you can see the valleys and the rolling hills and the trees and stuff in the distance. That would be a beautiful view if we just didn't have that stupid wall there. 
So they go and do it. Finally, one person in the city gets their mind and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm taking the wall down in front of my house. I think I'm going to move the stones. I'm going to clear out all the mortar and stuff. So at least from my, my living room chair, I can turn if I want to look and look out the wall and see the valley in the springtime where it's green and the, the waters are flowing. I think I can do that. And if I want to, I don't have to go clear around to the city gate to go outside the wall. I can, I can just go out and back and forth anytime I want to. So you look at that and you think, wow, these people have let their wall down. But when they let their wall down, they did it in such a way that they've left themselves vulnerable to an enemy that they'd forgotten about. But it's not really talking about the city that much. It's talking about a city whose walls are broken down is like a man who lacks self-control. So we're talking about a man here. So the man that lacks self-control, sitting inside the walls, does all those things, and he's sitting there in his house, and he's thinking, well, maybe I ought to repair the wall here at my house. I see where it's starting to break down. I see where there's... And he's got a friend, of course, that tells him, say, hey, buddy, man, don't spend... Listen, let's go, let's go do something else. Let's, let's spend... That's time, money, effort. Let's take it and invest it in some luxuries, all right? Besides, there's no enemy. There's no enemy. We haven't had attacks in years. Don't worry about it. And he begins to hear his friends say all of these things, and he works that whole process down until again, like I said, he says, you know, I would just like to see on the other side of it. The friend's saying, you know what? Why shouldn't you see on the other side of it? Didn't God make, didn't God make everything over there on the other side of it? Shouldn't you be able to experience what's on the other side of that wall instead of being closed in here all the time? You're so closed in and cooped up together. Wouldn't it be nice to kind of open things up? And, and, and it's talking about it on HGTV all the time, how you can open things up, you know, and, 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 and one movement out, you're right there in your yard, and then suddenly you're outside the wall. You've got this whole big area. And besides, God made all that stuff on the other side of the wall too. And if he didn't want you to experience it, then why did he make it? So the man tears down the wall in front of his house. And he lives in luxury and he enjoys himself, not really realizing he's invited his own destruction because the enemy has a straight path to his home. But see, here's the problem. Not only just talking about a city or the mentality of a man, but we're talking about the substance of the wall. Self-control. Because he lacked the mortar of self-control, because he lacked the stones of self-control, because he refused to maintain self-control, he let the enemy in. You see, folks, our self-control is that part of us that will help destroy and crucify our selfish nature. The self-control that says, you know what? The self-control that's given by the Holy Spirit according to the fruit of the Spirit. Am I in the book or not? The self-control that says, you can go this far, but no further. The self-control that says, I will do this, I will not do that. But a person that does not have boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. A person that does not have boundaries is a person that has opened themselves up to all kinds of attacks and the victory of the enemy. Because you have no defense. Amen. We've got no guidelines. We have no boundaries. We have no barriers. And this individual that listened to his friend compromise and tell him it's not a big deal, there's no enemy, and, and compromise and compromise, he did not realize that he had already befriended the enemy before he ever opened the wall up. 
So many times with our minds and our hearts and our opinions, we embrace the thoughts of the world and the, the, the worldliness into our hearts before we ever cross over outside of our self-control. It begins in the heart. Amen? Mind the good? Isn't this good? It's one verse. They're way better than I am. I can't say that much in one verse. So you say, Pastor, why, you know, why would you ask me this? Why would you bring this up? Because there's an enemy that's doing everything he can to individuals, okay, to tell us, to rationalize, hold on and harbor the unforgiveness. Go ahead and have that conversation. Go ahead and manipulate that situation. Go ahead and use everything you can to your advantage. It really doesn't matter. And folks, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out. Sometimes church building programs can be ugly when they're mishandled. And when people don't have self-control. You say, Pastor, I'm really sick of hearing about the building program. You'll hear about it this week and next week, and I'm not talking about it anymore. Well, I will. I'm sure I will. But I'm not going to just preach messages about the building program. We're preparing ourselves so that we don't repair ourselves. And there is an enemy that wants to destroy. And there is an enemy that will get into us and, and weave his way through our church trying to split, divide, and cause issues. There have been enough people even that have come into our church recently that I've spoken with over the last several years that have said, Pastor Bob, we've been through this kind of stuff before. Not here. We're not doing it. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing. We're going to keep the walls up. The walls of self-control. Do you know that when a city was built and there were walls around it, when, when Israel came back and rebuilt Jerusalem and there was walls put up around it, everybody was responsible for the wall that was right there where? At their home. See where I'm going with this? We all have our walls of responsibility. We all have our times that we can put off our self-control. And through each person's moment of self-control in the church body, it can be that way and that avenue by which the enemy can come in and attack everybody. But Pastor Bob, I've kept my walls up. I've, I've done everything. I've maintained. Yes, but this, this faction over here that started months ago, decided to come in and try to just wreak havoc on everybody else. Folks, we don't want this. We don't want this. And I'm saying it today, I'm going to preach this message to you today before anything's happened. Because if it happens and then you preach the message, it's ugly. Nobody wants that. Because if something, as I'm telling you, nothing's happened yet, Nothing's going to happen because we're going to keep the walls up. We're defended from the enemy that way. So let's look at Israel. Let's look at examples. Israel stood at a couple places of decision. They stood at the Red Sea, and they stood at the Jordan River. The Red Sea, obviously, where they were delivered out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army's attacking, going to come up and going to slaughter them. It was not even going to be a fight, folks. It was going to be over and done with. But God. Everybody say, but God. But God, He opened the Red Sea. They had a decision to make. Do we stand here and uh, 
fight this enemy that we don't have a chance with? Or do we step into this giant tunnel of water that just created itself for us that might close in halfway through? (laughs) We're dead either way. Let's go for it. They walked through. God delivered them. And here's, here's the interesting thing. When I was talking about new levels, new devils, when I'm talking about progress, okay, and God moving us forward, when it comes to a point of major decision for a church or individuals, you've left behind one enemy, but you're facing another one. Israel left behind Egypt, and they walked into the, the, the wilderness of themselves. God got them out of Egypt and then took them into the wilderness to get Egypt out of them. We've talked about that before. But they stand here at this point of decision. And they said, you know what? I'm going to have to go in. And, and, and God, God moves them forward. And then the enemy begins to attack in a different way. We see this in Exodus 15, 24. The first thing they did is they got in there and they couldn't find water. And they got upset. And the water they did find was bitter. Did find was bitter in Exodus 15, 24. So the people grumbled against, grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now I understand the concern. If you're going to go out there, die of thirst. It's a bad thing. But this God just split the water for them. And they didn't think and stop and control themselves enough to say, wait a second. So did God really bring us out here to die? Instead, they became selfish. And here's here's the thing, what what I want us to focus on today is that with the children of Israel, and so often with churches as they move forward things, with things, is that people allow circumstances to give them a license to lose their self-control and act any way they want. I'll say it again. People have a tendency to allow circumstances to give them a license to throw away their self-control and behave any way they like. Building programs bring circumstances. Life brings circumstances. Progression brings circumstances. Later on, first it was water, bitter water, then it was food. Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. God was patient. He provided food again. People said, I want to go back. I just want to go back. You know, I'll give you an example. I don't like this. I just want to go back. There's going to be a lot of things over the next uh, eight months or so that can cause people to, to get upset. For example, let's just say something, wall callers. All right? If I said, hey, let's, let's everybody take a poll, and what colors should we paint the new foyer and the walls and the kids' area? What colors? And everybody go... And how many different colors do you think we'd have? <laughs> People come into the two. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> we get all these new colors, and everybody's like, wow, that's what I want to have. Listen, if we mixed them all together, it'd be brown anyway. <laughs> right? Everybody come in and say, I don't like this brand new hot pink, which is not going to be hot pink. I'm just going way off, okay? I don't like this brand new hot pink foyer. I liked it better with the wooden paneling narrow foyer that we used to have. I'm going to go back. Man, don't do that. Listen, circumstances, it's not going to be perfect. for It's not going to be ideal for everybody's perfect decor, uh, you know, expertise. It's, we should have moved that over there. And this here. Listen, we're paying people to do that, okay? 
That's why we pay people to do that. But my reality of this is this. Don't let petty things become divisive. You say, Pastor, you're talking about food and water here. I know. How many people fight over carpet? I have more grace for people saying, I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to drink for three days. Than I do with people walking in going, this place looks nasty. (laughs) Division. We can't have it. We can't allow ourselves to think just because I don't like this wall collar that I have been given the right to throw a fit. Kicking, screaming. Let's move on. They need water again. Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. I don't know if that was a circle K or what, but there was no other water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Ooh! Why do you put the Lord to the test with arguing? But the people were thirsty for water there. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Now stop right there before you develop an opinion. You say, Pastor, the only pattern I'm getting here is that every verse you've used is everybody got mad at the leadership. Are you scared? Are you going to protect yourself? Listen, if you've got to complain against me, you're not going to be the first one. You're probably not going to be the last one. It's okay. I'd rather you not complain against me. My reality of this is it's not just about against the leadership. It's about people throwing off all restraint and gathering themselves up and creating a posse saying, we're going to push forward our agenda. Okay? We can't have that. It's not going to be good. These people had the mentality that they wouldn't worship God anyway. They just wanted their flesh to be fed. So when Moses went up the top of the mountain to talk with God, they said, Hey, Aaron, we want a God that we can see and touch. We want a God that we can worship. This Moses character, we don't even know what happened to him. He could be dead. So these people, because they were so consumed with themselves, they began to worship things. They said, Hey, Aaron said, put us together a calf. And then Aaron lied about it. The mentality of these people has been, as they would progress through the wilderness, they never did overcome the new enemy themselves. Their walls were never built up themselves. They did not have self-control. And and, and we know that they continued in the rebellion. We know that later on, Korah's situation, when the ground, you know, you're talking about the ground swallowing people, folks. You're talking about fire coming out of the tabernacle and burning people. You're talking about some pretty heavy stuff. Talking about serpents, poisonous serpents eating, and not eating people, which that'd be more cool, but they were biting them and they were dying. But it'd be cool if it was like a giant serpent, but it wasn't. It was just little serpents biting people. The point is this. They could not control themselves. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? I'll give you an example. They stand at the River Jordan. They see the promised land across all this that had been talked about from Abraham on. All this promised land. And they're looking across and they realize after their bondage and after they've been in the wilderness, this is it. It's finally here. And Moses says, go in and spy it out. I'll send 12 in. And 10 come back with a bad report. And two come back with a good report. Well, the report of the ten was that they still hadn't come over, overcome the God, or the God, the enemy that they were fighting in the wilderness. Why? They were still worried about themselves. The report was, there's giants over there. There's fortified walls over there. There's walled cities. We can't take this land. 
It's going to cost me too much. It's going to require too much time. It's going to demand me. And then there's Joshua and Caleb who come back and say, Lane looks good. We can take it. Fruit was big. Fruit was good. Plenty of land. We got this thing. God says no. What is the difference? The difference is unbelief. Okay? Two believed, the others did not. And because the the whole congregation did not believe, they stepped back and they had to go out and die off and then come back to the Jordan River again. My point is this. Those ten... They had drank from water out of a rock. They had come through the Red Sea. They had seen God be victorious. They had seen God manifest Himself on the top of a mountain and speak to them Himself. They had seen all of these things, and yet when they got to that point of the decision, they could not move past themselves. They had not conquered themselves. Their wall was tore down. They were without self-control. They had no belief. The other two, they believed. Why? Because they had walked through the Red Sea. They had eaten manna from heaven. They had eaten quail that had flown into their camp from God. They had drank water from a rock. They had seen the victories of God. They had heard the voice of God. Joshua was halfway up the mountain when the Lord was speaking with Moses. We know that they got it and they believed. And because they stood at that point of decision, there was no more complaint. There was no more argument because this was not about me anymore. This is about my God. I'm not going into the promised land for my glory and for my comfort and for my peace. I'm going in there because my God has promised it. What's the connection? Connection is very simple, church. This building addition is not about your comfort alone. There's a plan and a purpose of God in our children, in our young adults, in our seniors, in our families, in our church, there's a plan. And God has said, move forward. God has given provision. Move forward. Conquer the enemy of self. Don't tear down the wall of self-control. Say, Pastor Bob, I'm going to move forward with self-control. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? The main thing is God's plan for our church is not about walls. It's not about paint collars. Even though we've got to do all that stuff. And we've got a committee that's doing that stuff. We have got to realize that there's a greater plan. Why? Because buildings don't save people. I said that Thursday night. We're trying to do something eternal here. We're trying to do something eternal in this church. And I don't want it to be sidetracked because of a building. Pastor Bob, when I was a youth pastor, and our room over there was horribly nasty. It had, paint, had stains all over the floor, and the walls were white and stained, and stuff tacked all over the ceiling and the walls. We grew a youth ministry from 18, 22 people to 75 at one point. And I had friends that had, had youth facilities that were running less. Pastor Bob, how are you doing this? I'm not doing it. Well, this building is, I mean, you, but yet you've got... Why? Because... Kids don't come into a building because the building's nice. It helps. They come in when they're loved and they're ministered to and their lives are changed and something eternal is happening. And I'm going to tell you what. We may have a nice foyer here in the future where it's nice and big and open. 
and we may have kids' areas, and we may have a, have a, a nursery and, and a little coffee bar and all that wonderful stuff. We're going to secure our things for our kids. It's going to be nice, all right? It's going to be nice. But what's going to make people come in when the visitors come in and when people that need Jesus Christ come in, our friends and family and loved ones that we've been praying for, walk through the doors, they're not going to get saved because the tile is the right color. They're going to get saved because the people of God have walked through this together. We're in unity and we are a representation of God, a unified triune God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come in and hear truth and gospel and bless God, you can sit down and talk to Him about it over a cup of coffee out in the foyer after you're done. And give them Jesus. That's the life-changing part. The life-changing part is not walls and buildings and opinions and attitudes. Listen to me. When somebody starts to throw a fit and they start to gather around themselves a, a posse of people to push forward their agenda and their wants and their attitudes and the things they think they need to see to do, I will encourage you to do two things. First and foremost, tell them, say, Pastor Bob would love to talk to you about that. And the truth is, I would. Because bless God, sometimes cranky people have good ideas. They just don't know how to share it. It's true, it's a personality thing. Some people, it don't matter how they talk, you think they're mad all the time. Well, they got everything flowing through here this way, visitors can't get in that door that way, and they can't do this, the furniture needs to be moved over here. Well, you need to quit arguing. No, tell them to come talk to me. Talk to our board. But if it's something that is ridiculous and we can't change, or if it's something that's just not changeable or amoral, then, then we'll just say, you know what? I appreciate your opinion. I really do. And this is just the avenue we've gone. And, and uh, you know, it's not anything personal. We realize there's going to be people that aren't going to like this or that about it. But, but you know what? Bless God. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. That was not me. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to laugh at it, amen? <laughs> For some reason, when I put my iPad really close to that receiver, it does that every once in a while. One more scripture verse. When people fight about silly things, you know, it just creates other issues. And I want to encourage you, when people begin to, if they can't let it go, just say, listen, Pastor Bob said, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's do that. Let's, let's remember that we're not just about building buildings here. If you want to do that, bless God, go set up a construction or an de interior design company. Here, we're going to do the best we can to make a place that's feasible to worship and it's a useful building that is going to be used for ministry. Amen. You know, and we just want everybody to be understanding of that and move forward in that. And so when somebody gets an attitude about something silly like a wall collar or, you know, a tile or whatever, just say, hey, you know what, let's keep the main thing the main thing. It's just walls and a roof to keep us out of the weather so that we can tell people about Jesus. Amen. Amen. So here's my last verse, last thought. I don't want us to be lulled to sleep by the momentum and joy that we're experiencing as a church. So first of all, we've got to remember that there's an enemy that will attack. So 1 Peter chapter 5, we've got to build the walls of self-control in our own lives so that we can have a fortified church here, a church together. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Don't exalt yourself. Realize 
It's not about me. People say, Pastor, it's all about you. You just want a building program, build yourself up. I told somebody the other day, look, I, I, you know what? If, if I leave this church someday, I don't even know that I'll remain in ministry. I don't, it's not about trying to progress. You understand? I'm called here. I feel called here. I don't feel called to be a, a, a person that's progressing my way up the ladder in the assemblies of God. It's not how I am. It's not how I'm designed. If the Lord moves me from here and puts me back in the welding field, so be it. It's not about me. I've got, like I said a couple weeks ago, I've got plenty of space up here to move around. We're doing it for our children, and bless God, so you can go potty without having to be right against somebody all the time. <laughs> it's not about you, it's about the whole plan. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen, worries are legitimate and people get concerns and, and, and feel like they're left out or they're not heard or there's not a voice. Listen, we care and the Lord cares. Cast your anxieties on Him. If it's something that you've talked to myself or the board about and you're still just not comfortable with it, go to the Lord. Listen, that anxiety and that fear and that constant, that's an attack of the enemy. God is not a God of fear. Amen? He doesn't want us to walk around fearful and anxiety, with anxiety all the time. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So be sober, be vigilant, be self-controlled. Keep your wall up because you know attacks will come. Keep watch over your life. Make sure he's not using you as a pawn in his game to destroy. We know that sin's going to come. We know that problems are going to arise. Don't let it come through you. Amen? Can I ask you? Well, we'll do this. Verse 9. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Listen, we've got to resist. We've got to have self-control. Okay? Resist the stirrup. Resist the divisive things. Resist the gossip and the slander and the silliness that's going to come along because it will. And, and here's the other thing about... Here's the other thing about people being upset and offended. And See, because it says this here that because you know, uh, resist him staying firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are uh, undergoing the same kind of sufferings. <laughs> One thing about church offense, being offended at somebody in church, it makes you think that you're the only one. And the enemy wants you to think that you're the only one, but I want to kill that right now. You ready? How many in the church has ever been offended by somebody in the church? Now look around. Raise your hands up high. Not necessarily this church. In a church, any church. There you go. There we go. Listen, some people are like, I'm new. I ain't never been offended by nobody here. I don't want <laughs> How about you last year? Oh, yes. I'm just kidding. Listen to me. We've all been offended by somebody. You're not alone. An offense wants you to say, they don't like me there. Nobody cares about me. Nobody yada, 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 yada. Here's the difference. Some people get offended and there's a right way to handle it. You think I've never been offended before? I've been offended before. Uh, I've, been, I've grown up in church. I've, you can't grow up around a bunch of people and not be offended. Have you ever been offended in your family before? All my sisters are going. <laughs> yes, I saw the wave back there, you know. Families, you get offended. But you've got to have self-control. You're still family. can't change that. Right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and sometimes somebody may say something or do something might offend you. 
But it doesn't change that they're your brother and sister in Christ. They deserve the opportunity for you to come to them in love and say, look, man, let's fix this. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's love Jesus. Let's reach out to our community. Let's not cause a division line. It's my message to us this morning. I would rather prepare than repair. And I don't want us to look like a bunch of people that could be compared to a city with its walls broke down. I'm excited for what God's doing. I'm excited to see people coming to Christ and lives being changed. It's way too important. It's way too important. You say, Pastor, why would you do these messages? It's my nature to protect. I get that from my father. I get that from my father. Amen. And this is his word to us today. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the walls built in your personal life so that we can all be protected from the attacks of the enemy. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for these precious people. I thank you for your truth. And Lord, we just receive it today. Give us wisdom and understanding. Lord, increase the fruit of self-control in our lives, that fruit of the Spirit, so that when our, our, our emotions and our feelings take charge, that we would allow ourselves to be moved by truth and not by circumstances. Help us, God, to be people that are stable in our thinking, our thought, and our action. Not so that we would be glorified, but so that you would be glorified in it all. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.